I'm going to switch things up a little bit. I'm going to pray for us to start, and then we're going to dive into the sermon this morning, okay? So let's take some time and pray. Lord Jesus, as, as Chad said, you are great and you are greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. Lord, we do thank you for bringing us here this morning. Lord, we trust that you have uh, specific things that you want to speak to each and every one of us. I thank you for the power of your word that is sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to the division of joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so, God, I pray and I ask as we sit underneath your word here this morning, would you teach us? Would you stir affection in our hearts for you? God, I also want to pray for our brothers and sisters over in the Czech Republic. Lord, I thank you just that uh, we belong to something bigger than just this church building or this church, but we are a part of a network of churches that want to see the gospel advance throughout the world. And Lord, I pray for those over in the Czech Republic. Lord, they've been on lockdown much, much tighter than we are here in the States for the last six weeks. Lord, I pray for those who are feeling depressed. I pray for those who are feeling isolated. God, we ask just that your people would be the means of grace in people's lives over there. Lord, I pray that Metro Church there in Olomouc would shine the light of the gospel brightly. God, just that you would allow them in unique ways to get the gospel forth, whether it's at grocery stores or common places that are still open. Lord, we ask just that uh, your people would be sustained in this season and they wouldn't just be sustained, but Lord, that they would go on the offensive and that they would want to share the gospel and the only hope that we have in life and death. And so, Lord, we pray specifically for Freddie and Lanka. We pray for Tomash. We pray for Daniel. We pray for the rest of the leadership that is there. God, we ask for your favor. God, would the gospel continue to break forth with the light uh, shine brightly in a dark, dark country, experiencing a dark, dark season. But Lord, thank you that we can be a part of that. And so God, we trust you for our brothers and sisters over there. And Lord, I pray just for the rest of the Crossway Chapel churches, the Crossway Network churches that are meeting here this morning. God, we pray just that you would build up the saints, that they would see afresh the beauty of the incarnation. And Lord, we pray for that here and now for us. So open, us, open our eyes to your scriptures. We love you. We thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Most recently, over the last few years, I've experienced the wonder of fiction books. Now, I've always read fiction since I was a little kid, but, it, but it's more recently that I've gotten into really good fiction. So who here has heard of the Wing Feather Saga? Let me see some hands. Oh, come on! That's what I'm talking about. Okay, the Wing Feather Saga. It's a four-book series written by this guy, Andrew Peterson. We sing some of his songs here. And holy cow, it's great. It's about these three siblings, these three children, and people are after them. More specifically, the fangs of Dang are after them. And there's betrayal, there's adventure, there's peril. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And then to top it all off, there's these jewels of an area that it seems like everybody wants. And more specifically, one person, Nag the Nameless, the enemy. And so, my friend Jack 
there in the back. I asked him this summer, I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about reading the Chronicles of Narnia again, but I also have the Wingfeather Saga. What do you think? He's like, dude, you have to read the Wingfeather Saga. And so I crushed through all four books, and oh my gosh, I, I highly commend it to all of you. I'm pretty sure I cried in every single book. No, I know I cried in every single book. And I'm not, I'm not a crier. All that to say, most recently we decided, Michelle and I, my wife, we decided to read the Wingfeather Saga to our children. And it's been so, what I would say, maybe refreshing to reread these stories. Because I, I see things that I didn't pick up on the first time. And now that I know the end of the story and the resolution, I see what the author has been doing the entire time. Can any of you guys relate to that when you reread something? Or maybe it's a movie that you watch for a second or third or 50th time and you pick up on something new. Well, as we enter into this Advent season, our pastoral team is praying and hoping that our church sees afresh the Incarnation as we are reintroduced to these great stories of the God-man coming to be amongst His people, we hope and we pray that your heart is stirred anew. See, the Advent season is historically the four Sundays before Christmas. And this is the first one. Advent simply means coming. And so this Advent season, we're going to focus on the fact that the Incarnation that Jesus Himself has come the first time, that it brings love, joy, hope. And this morning, we're going to focus specifically on peace. So whether this is your first time experiencing the Advent season, your 50th time, or anywhere in between, I hope that your heart is stirred afresh. Jesus is coming. He has and He will come again. So if you have a Bible, let's open it up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Hands down, my favorite chapter in the Advent stories. And just to give you a little bit of the, the biblical context of where we're at here this morning. Luke chapter 2 starts off with the birth scene of Jesus in that the Virgin Mary comes to Bethlehem and boom, there's no room for them at the inn, so they go to the stable and, and there they are. And then the Lord Jesus is born into the world. And right after that is the great scene of the shepherds. I preached on this a couple years ago and I absolutely love it. The shepherds. So these rough, gruff, tough shepherds who are kind of the outsiders of society they're out in the, in the fields in the middle of the night, pitch black. The only light source back then and there wasn't LEDs or something like this. It was, it was fire. So it was pitch black in the middle of the night. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears in a bright light like they've never seen before. The only thing comparable that I could think of is like stadium lights all of a sudden poof, turned on. And these rough, gruff, tough shepherds, they're terrified. <laughs> They've never experienced anything like this. And the angel says to them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And then those shepherds, they hear singing. And there's this heavenly host. All these angels singing at the top of their angelic lungs. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth with whom He is pleased. So those shepherds, once the angels leave, they say, we've got to go see this. And they go to the city of David. They go to Bethlehem. And they see Jesus right there. And they tell Mary, Joseph, what just happened to them. And then they leave and they go tell everyone what has just happened. The Savior of the world has been born. So that's Luke chapter 2. And that brings us up to where we're at in our passage for this morning. Shortly after that scene with the shepherds, Mary and Joseph head to Jerusalem. They go to the temple. They circumcise Jesus first, and then they go to the temple to offer sacrifice for Jesus. And we see that Mary and Joseph, they trust God. They want to honor God by obeying His Word. By obeying the law. And that's what they do here. And then, we see this great providential meeting with this man, Simeon. Now our passage this morning, you, you've maybe read it before. Or maybe you've overlooked it, but I think the implications are great, especially as we begin this Advent season. So let us stand and show reverence to God's Word as I read from Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 25. Luke 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is God's Word. You can have a seat. Okay, so our focus here this morning is that the light of the world has come to bring peace. The light of the world has come to bring peace. And we're going to look at it in three different parts. We're going to see Simeon's peace. We're going to see Simeon's praise. And Simeon's prophecy. So number one. Simeon's peace. Now, this guy Simeon, we don't, we don't know much about him. He's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. This is the only time that we encounter him. We, we don't know how old he is. It's assumed that he's an old man, uh, but we don't know that. Uh, he's, he's not a priest, but he is a servant of God. 
What we do know about him is that the text says that he is righteous and devout, and that he's patiently waiting the consolation of Israel. Consolation. It's kind of a nice little Advent term. (laughs) Consolation means the hope that God would come. And not just come, but come to rescue and comfort His people. And Simeon was waiting for that. He's seen later as a servant. And we also see that Simeon has this extra measure of grace. That the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, if you know your Bible and redemptive history, this isn't common for the Spirit of God to be upon people at this point in redemptive history. Because Jesus comes as a baby, He lives sinlessly, He promises the Holy Spirit, then dies, rises again, appears, ascends to the Father, and then sends the Spirit. But we see for Simeon, there's an extra measure of grace here that the Spirit of God was upon him. And it wasn't just upon him, but it revealed to him a specific prophecy about the Messiah. The Spirit reveals that Simeon would see the Messiah before he sees death. And Simeon takes God at His word. He trusts His promise. And so, there's this providential meeting between Simeon and Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the temple. Simeon's going about his day being this righteous, devout man. Maybe he's praying, and all of a sudden the Spirit tells him, go to the temple. And that urge is strong enough for him, and he goes. Maybe he gets ready, brushes his teeth, or whatever they did that day. And then he heads off. This urging is stronger stronger. He's guided by the Spirit to the temple. And maybe he begins to run, and then he gets there. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, there he is. Not Simeon. Jesus. And he lays his eyes on him. He lays his eyes on him. And he knew. He knew the long-awaited Savior has come. And the text says that he takes him up in his arms. He holds this child, this warm embrace. And he looks at the face of this one-month-old baby. And he experiences this deep satisfaction. This deep longing of his soul has been fulfilled. And he experiences peace experiences peace. This is a side note, but I think, it, I think it's kind of interesting when you read this and you see Mary and Joseph's parenting style and that they got this one-month-old baby and then all of a sudden the stranger comes and picks him up and starts dancing around with him maybe. It's like, when I think of when I was a first-time father and we had Solomon and he was a month old, like when people would come over, I'd be like, hey, the hand sanitizer's right over there. Like, Let's not touch him before you put some hand sanitizer. All that to say, I think it's it's pretty interesting to see Mary and Joseph, they just roll with it here because they know that this child is something special that the world has never seen before. And so Simeon has this deep peace. 
And that leads me to our second part here this morning, that it allows Simeon to erupt with praise. His heart overflows with praise here. So let's look at verse 29 again. And let's look at this poetic praise that he directs towards God. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And it's as if Simeon's saying, I'm ready. I'm ready, Lord. This servant has fulfilled what you promised him. And I think of it as kind of like a servant or maybe a guard who's keeping watch overnight and he's waiting for the sun to rise. He's standing at his post and all of a sudden there are glimmers on the horizon of the sun. And the sky begins to turn beautiful colors and all of a sudden, the rays of the sun rise. That's what Simeon's feeling right now. He's waited for this moment for most of his life. And he says, I'm ready. He served God up to this point, And now he's ready. But notice in his uh, little praise poem here, this song of praise, that there is an explicit reference to sight. Verse 30, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Back up in verse 26, when the Holy Spirit reveals to him, it says, that Simeon will not see death until he has seen the Lord's Christ. But now here in verse 30, his eyes, look what they've seen. They've seen salvation. He doesn't say the Messiah. He says salvation. You see, Jesus is personified here in the Word of God as the one who provides salvation. And he praises God. Can you think of a time in your life when you've had a similar experience to Simeon? When you have seen God work in such a mighty way that you have just erupted in praise. You know, one of the unique things about being a pastor is that I have a front row view to the good, the bad, and the ugly in people's life. And there's unique challenges and burdens, but boy, I'll tell you what. It is pretty awesome to see the work of God in your life. It is awesome to see God fulfill His promises. To meet needs. Whether it's financial needs that have been met. Whether it's prayers that have been answered. People who have been healed. Marriages that have been formed. Or marriages that have been restored despondent or disobedient children that have come to faith in Christ. But I'll tell you what, probably one of of the most exciting things is when I see someone cross over from death to life and we get to experience that with a baptism. We get to experience that here today. And this is the beauty of living in community. And this is the beauty of why we need each other in this season. Because God is at work even amidst this pandemic, even amidst these tightening restrictions on our culture, God is at work. And we need to encourage each other with these things. We need to remind each other of the truth of God's Word and fall back on those promises. We need to experience these joys 
together and sing praises to God together. Here on Sunday mornings, yes, important, but also throughout the week. So whether it's a phone call, whether it's a life group meeting, whether it's a smaller discipleship or journey group meeting, we need each other to press in and marvel at the work of God here in this season. And that deep, satisfying peace will result in praise to our great God and Savior. Continuing on here in verse 31 and 32, I love that this salvation personified, this Messiah is this revelation to the world. This is God's plan of redemption that He was preparing all the way back through the laws, through the law, through the prophets, and all the way back to the garden where the promised seed of the woman would come. And God was preparing from that moment forward for this moment that we read about. When He would step out of glory, God Himself, and He would come into His creation to save His people. It says in verse 32 that this light would be a glory to your people Israel. That this light would come from the people of Israel, but it wouldn't just be for Israel. It would be for the Gentiles, which simply means the nations. Everyone who is not a part of the nation of Israel, that's you and that's me, unless you're Jewish. And this, this theme of, of light that we see there in verse 32, this light for revelation, man, this theme is, is traced throughout Scripture. And we've seen it in Exodus. You remember? The light of God's presence, whether it's the burning bush, and God cries out, Moses, Moses. Or once the people of Israel had been brought out, they were led by a pillar of fire. God's presence. And now God's presence has come. His light to the world. This was prophesied in Isaiah 49.6. God speaking to Israel says, I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation will reach the end of the earth. Light. It's a metaphor. It's a great one. And the opposite of that is Darkness. Spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness could be characterized as evil, pain, misery, fear, sin, death. Ladies and gentlemen, the light of the world has come in to dissipate that spiritual darkness. In my house... We, we like to play this game called sardines. If you don't know what it is, it's kind of like reverse hide and seek, where uh, one person goes and hides, and everyone else playing the game counts to 30, and then tries to go and find them. And when one person finds the person hiding, then they hide with them. Then more people find them, and they hide with them. And pretty soon, you're packed into a small area like a bunch of sardines. And it's great, and we love playing it in my house. And maybe some of you have played it with our family in our house. Well, we tend to play at night, and we tend to turn off the lights. And my son Jude hates it when we play in the dark. 
He, and he goes around and he turns on lights. And I'm like, dude, you can't do that. Like, we're playing in the dark. But this kid, he's just terrified of the darkness. And so down in our basement, we have this little room underneath the stairs. And there's a door to it. And so sometimes I'll get all the kids in there. And I'll close the door. And it's just pitch black. I mean, you, you cannot see in front of your face. And I'm, I'm holding Jude just so he knows that daddy's here. And I say, boys, are you afraid? Some of them say yes, some of them don't. And then I take a lighter and I light it. And poof, you should see their faces. <laughs> it's awesome. And I'll tell them, I'll say, John 8, 12 says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And the look on Jude's face in particular, he's comforted. He's comforted by the light. So ladies and gentlemen, as I assess our culture around us right now, whether it's, whether it's outside the church here in our city, whether it's even inside the church, or honestly when it's inside my own heart, I don't sense comfort. I don't see peace. And I certainly don't see praise. You know what I do see? I see anxiousness. I see fear. I see grumbling. And I see division. Peace in a pandemic. <laughs> Is that even possible? And it just begs the question, where are we looking for our source of peace? Where are we looking? Many of us, we just want to get on the other side of this pandemic. We want the vaccine. We want these restrictions lifted. We just want life back to normal. For some of us here in this body, we're walking through health issues. And we just want to be healthy. I know a number of you too are banking on a particular relationship. And maybe it hasn't gone according to your plans. And it's going according to God's plan, but it's not giving you peace. All these are sources of artificial light. They're not real. They're not meant to give us peace. And I think we can take a lesson from our friend Simeon here in our passage this morning. That if we want peace, if we want that deep satisfaction in our souls, we need to fix our eyes on the light of the world. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and come to the true light source. We need to dive into His Word. And that's why I love the Advent season. Because we see these things afresh. We see these things new. We need to let His Spirit guide us to the truth of His Word and His promises. And we need to bank our lives on these promises. And as we do that, let them sink in. Let them overflow to other people that we're in community with. And I'll just share with you one that I've been coming back to time and time and time again in this season. If you're a note writer, write it down. It's Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace 
Him whose mind is steadfast because He trusts in you. Because He trusts in you. Steadfast mind. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Trust in Him. You will keep in perfect peace. So as we get to our third point here this morning, we've seen Simeon's peace. We see his praise. But now we kind of take a little bit of a, a turn here. And we see his prophecy. And after seeing the light of the world that's come, Mary and Joseph, they, they hear the words of praise from Simeon. And they're amazed. They're astonished. They, the text says that they marvel at Simeon's response to their one-month-old baby. Well, pretty soon, those words of praise from Simeon are going to turn to words of sorrow for Mary and Joseph. And as Simeon has choice words for them, words of what is to come in Jesus' life. You see, what he shares here in verses 33-35 through 35 is... He's looking forward to what's to come in Jesus' life. That His life is going to be marked by opposition. And it's going to lead to the fall and rise of many. You see, in order for someone to fall, they, they must be standing. And in order for someone to rise, they must be built back up. And it just begs the question, what is the foundation that you're standing on? And what is the foundation that you're building your life on? Simeon here looking forward in this child's life, in order for this salvation to be achieved, there's going to be much pain, much sorrow, much opposition. This was all going to take place. And it wasn't all going to lead to amazement for Mary in particular. She's going to experience pain and sorrow as she sees her little baby grow into a man and then be despised and rejected and then pierced, nailed to a cross. Luke doesn't record it, but the Gospel writer John does record Mary is right there next to Jesus when He's crucified on that cross at the end of His life. But all of this, all of this pain, all of this sorrow, all of this opposition to this child, for a purpose. It's for a purpose. And God will providentially use this child's life as the text says here at the very end so that many hearts may be revealed. This child's going to be used to expose what is our foundation and what is our heart towards God. And when hearts get revealed towards Jesus, there's only two responses. People either follow Jesus or they oppose Jesus. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're not quite sure about Jesus. You're slightly opposed to Him, but you're not exactly sure why. But you feel this opposition. Maybe it's something that you've been taught or an experience that you've gone through. But that opposition is there. And you know it. And that opposition reveals the condition of your heart. What the Bible calls our flesh or our 
sin nature. And you were born that way. All of us were. We all oppose Jesus' claim on our lives, whether it's His deity, whether it's His sovereignty, or quite frankly, His lordship over us. We are rebels. That's what that opposition, that opposition is, is a symptom of something deeper. That at the very core of us, we are rebels. And that rebellion, as the text says, leads to a fall. And ultimately, death. And it shows that we need not to fix our hearts. We need a new heart. We need a heart that is soft. Because at the coming of Jesus, our sinful heart is clearly exposed. But praise God. Praise God that the good news here is that God's heart is exposed as well. So if you sense this opposition, I ask you to reconsider. I ask you to reconsider your thoughts of who Jesus is. and What God has accomplished through sending His Son. This God, He's not distant. He's not looking to punish you at a moment's notice. He's not cold. No, quite the contrary. You see, the light of the world that has come, He hasn't just come to expose the darkness. He's also come as a source of light, a source of heat. I think of it much like a furnace. A furnace in my house that when it turns on, it begins to form all this warm air and then it eventually pushes it through the ducts. But it's not until the vents of the house are opened up that you experience that warmth. That you experience that embrace of the warmth that has been building. And so if you sense that opposition in your heart here today, let me just encourage you, open the vents. Feel that warm embrace of who Jesus is. And let it wash over you. Let it comfort you. You see, Jesus came as the light of the world to sacrifice His life for your sin and for mine. And when you believe in Him, not when you clean yourself up, not when you're righteous and devout and pious and a servant like Simeon, but when you come to Jesus, you feel that warm embrace. And you see God's heart for you. We're going to see that warm embrace. We're going to experience that warm embrace through our sister Ashley and her testimony this morning. So we look forward to that moment. So as we shut her down here this morning, we see that the light of the world has come in to bring peace. We see that this peace was experienced not just by Simeon, but this peace has come, this light has come, so that the world would experience peace. You and me. And it just begs the question, are we going to take God at His Word? Are we going to come to Him as the true light source? And are we going to feel His warm embrace?